the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, episode 50 uh, at the Somerset Wellbeing Conference 2021. My name's Dr. Andrew Trusilla from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm be, I'm delighted to be uh, joined by my co-host and friend, Peter Bagshaw, GP and CCG Lead for Mental Health. And our mutual friend who has done such a lot of wonderful work on well-being in Somerset, Dr. Lorna Stewart. Very Hello. warm welcome. And Hello. a very warm welcome to everybody who's attending this conference and to everybody who's listening to the podcast. So today we're talking about Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast Live because it's our 50th podcast and it coincides with the Wellbeing Conference. So all excitement. Lorna, what wonderful things have you got in store for us? So I'm going to talk to you about the Colleague Support Line, which was set up right at the start of the pandemic. And uh, so should we should we have a look at some slides together? And I can talk to some slides and I can begin to walk our way through the whole evolution of, of what happened with the telephone line. That would be just great. So if you tell us about the Colleague Support Line, what it is and why it was set up. So... It's a really good question. Thank you ever so much, Andrew. So what happened way back when in, in March 2020, when we realised that the UK was having growing numbers of, of COVID cases and we were really just actually in a pandemic, there was this sudden realisation we were in a pandemic. There was increasing concern for the psychological as well as the physical impacts on, on our colleagues. We knew that we were coming from a place in, in the NHS particularly, although that's across all of our sectors, where we had an already stretched workforce and it was really highly likely that our workforce would have high exposure to pandemic trauma and excess deaths, which was very a very sad fact of, of being in a pandemic. What, what there was, was a lot of learning about the psychological impacts of previous disease outbreaks, such as SARS and MERS, and there was also learning from the disaster literature and the trauma literature. So we had quite a lot of learning behind us to think about what we needed to do. We were also getting some really good early learning from China and Italy, where they'd been ahead of us in terms of the pandemic curve and had already been highly affected by COVID. And they were, there were some really interesting things that they were telling us about the psychological effects on staff and the sorts of things that, that would be really helpful and supportive. Um, what all of that information told us that was that we could safely predict that about 75% of people cope okay in a crisis and experience just sort of normal distress when faced with a disaster, but that up to 30% of our workforce would be in need of some sort of psychological intervention now and up to five years beyond. And of that 30%, about 25% experience mild to moderate psychological difficulties, but about 5% really struggle and have severe difficulties. So we knew we, we really needed to do something um, as there were real risks of psychological distress in our colleagues, some negative impacts on their experience of work, then we were probably going to have higher than usual sickness absence rates and real risk that people might want to leave the profession. And all of this would impact on um, how our organisations would work, and most importantly, the care that we could deliver to our patients. So Lorna, tell us a bit about why else it was so important to put something in place for colleagues during this time. So I absolutely love this slide because I love this analogy of, of how you water um, 
what how how the water trickles from from the people who are are caring to um, the people they're caring for. And um, not only was it the right thing to put something in place to protect the psychological health of our colleagues, but there is a really clear link in the literature that we deliver much better quality care for patients when we ourselves have good emotional well-being. And the way that we achieve good emotional well-being is by taking good care of ourselves, particularly in a crisis. So put simply, you have to take care of yourself and be able to take care of others. And I really like this quote by um, Parker Palmer, who said, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship. We do so not only for ourselves, but for the many lives that we touch. Thank you. So own oxygen mask first, and you cannot draw water from an empty well. Um, Absolutely. What did you aim to do in response to the likely challenges our colleagues were facing? So we went away and we created a really comprehensive emotional wellbeing strategy that would be fit for the pandemic and trying to make it fit for beyond as well, because none of us at, at the beginning knew how long this was going to go on for. I remember naively drawing at the beginning a very beautiful little up and down curve that probably lasted a couple of months of how how it was going to come, come up and then it was going to go away. Um, but the thing that we did know is that we would probably be needing support, um, however long that pandemic was, for the duration of the pandemic and then for at least five years afterwards. So it needed to be something that was really uh, sustainable, the model. So, so it was based on the disaster literature, what was emerging from China and Italy. And we wanted to make sure that our colleagues were prepared to face all of the challenges ahead. We wanted to make sure that we could put in place preventative strategies so that as few colleagues as possible experienced high levels of psychological distress. And where people were distressed, we wanted to make sure that we responded quickly and in the right way. And as the pandemic timeline became clearer, as time went on, we knew this had to be sustainable and we needed to be able to sustain our well-being for some time. So with all the things we planned to put in place, in colleagues, including the colleague support line, we were keen to make sure that we were doing the right thing. So we, we also wanted to wrap around quality improvement methodology around everything we did so that we could measure the impacts across what we call the quadruple aim, which includes improving colleague mental health, improving workplace experience, improving patient safety and experience and improving organisational efficiencies and, and sickness absence rates. So there are some organisational elements in there as well. So were there some guiding principles around your plan? Yes, absolutely. Um, so whatever the timeline was for the pandemic, um, David, I think we're a, a slide ahead. There we go. Thank you. So... Um, Whatever the timeline was for the pandemic, you can see that I, I drew this lovely curve that went up and down, whether it was over quickly or as we were beginning to experience it taking some time. Um, we needed to make sure that we prepared people right at the start for the likely trauma that they might experience. What we know is that if you can anticipate and plan for difficult and unpleasant experience and feelings, you're more likely to prevent and deter them. We also knew that we would need to have something in place with ease of access and a rapid response that would sustain positive mental health. 
So we developed a model which we could wrap around our colleagues' psychological health and well-being, and that was called the Step Care Model. Thank so you. I think it is the next slide now, yes. David. Thank you. So what, what exactly is a Step Care Model? Um, can you take us through it, please? Sure. Um, so a stepped care model um, is based on good practice for setting up services. It's quite a common model. It's not something that I have particularly dreamt up. It's a principle that that is often uh, used quite a lot. And the reason that this approach is used is that the largest amount of people at the base of the model, so at level one that you can see here, will need the greatest amount of support at its lowest level. And then as you step up the model, the level and complexity of support increases, but the number of people requiring that high level support and complex need will decrease. And for us, what we really wanted to do was put at level one was to provide universal offerings for all. What we knew was that there was probably inequity of access and inequity of provision, but to try and think about some universal offerings that everybody could access. At level two, we were looking to put into place what's called primary prevention approaches, and that's getting in early before anything's happened. And that was really like the anticipate, plan and deter leaflet, and that was for everybody again. At level three, we needed an intervention that provided rapid access and a rapid response for those who needed it. And this is where the colleague support line came into place. And then at levels four and five, we put into place what's called postvention. So after something has occurred, so postvention support for individuals and teams where people were experiencing the greatest difficulty. And that was about our little slither of the 5% of people who we knew would, would really struggle. And um, here we are, the plan, and how and why and has it come about? The colleague support service, it's just fantastic. And I love your principle of universal minimum offering. And I know it's an SFT slide, Somerset NHS Foundation Trust slide, but we will hear later how this is actually spread much beyond SFT, which I'm so excited about. Thank you. Yes. Should we have a look at at the next slide, because that one's really our plan on a page that, that summarised it and pulled it all together. Probably the most important thing for our listeners is the contact number. Ah, oh, yes. So this is the colleague support line. So I'm really pleased to be talking about this specifically because it's something that um, we've been really proud to be able to put in place. So the colleague telephone number is there. So it's 0300 5595. And it's open to all colleagues um, across our health and care system. But I can talk a little bit more about, about how we've done that. Um, yes, please. So would you like me to talk about what, what to expect when people call the line first? Right. So, so here I am calling the line. Um, I've just rung it up um, and I'm a little bit uh, concerned and I'm a bit anxious, actually, because, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a bit distressed, but... What, what's going to happen? Um, you know, I, I'm, I've sort of come out, come out and, and said I, to myself, I think I need help, which was the biggest barrier. And so I've taken that first step of calling the number. Absolutely. And you raise a really valid point, Andrew, is that for, for our colleagues, it, it is a step into the unknown when you make a phone call like that. You know that you're struggling. You don't quite know necessarily what you might need, but you do need you know, know you need something. And um, so what you can expect is that you can 
talk with a warm and friendly and trained professional in confidence. And all of our um, people who are on the telephone line um, are uh, either psychologists or mental health professionals or mental health nursing. And they're all able to give what we call unconditional possibility positive regard so and are completely non-judgmental empathic and understanding so it sounds official but what we do is we triage and we risk assess so anybody who calls in we make sure they're okay and we just check in with them to make sure that if they are in crisis that we can make sure that we can direct them to the right right place and that we can hold and support them uh, sufficiently some of our people who call in, um, they need what we describe as psychological first aid. So that's immediate psychological support. So if you are really struggling and you need to talk to somebody there in the moment, then that is available for people. If after that session you think, actually, I'd quite like a little bit more, there is also the option to have what we describe as rapid access counselling. So you have a 90 minute session and you can book into that with the person that you talk to or with another person on in our team. And the final things really are that sometimes people are already seeing other services. So they might already be um, having conversations with talking therapies or they may be um, involved with our own open mental health teams. And we, we are able to do either a warm handover or we can um, support people um, to make sure that what they're receiving is, is right for them. And that's with several of the teams. And we also make sure that if people have got housing problems or financial problems or have recently been bereaved or bereaved some time ago and need support, that we can um, make sure that they are uh, signposted to the right service that can support them. And finally, we, there's lots of self-help materials that are available out there and there's lots of things that we can offer people um, in terms of self-help. And I'd be really interested to hear who's on the line, who's in the team. Are you able to give us any details? Yes, here we go. Here's the lineup. <laughs> so um, we have, uh, I'm very proud of the team. Um, they are absolutely fantastic. So we have... Uh, Along the bottom line, we have um, our assistant psychologists and um, we have uh, Paris and Maria and Josie and Beatrice and Anna, who are all um, psychology graduates and are all trained to be able to be uh, receiving calls on the line and are, have a wealth of experience behind them too. Um, some of them have already worked on telephone lines and crisis lines, so they're highly experienced at, at what they do. We have Pamela, who makes sure that we uh, all keep in check and that we do the things that we're supposed to do and supports us massively with all of the administration and some of our data collection in the team. And we have Dawn, who has been uh, with me right from the start of this process um, and spent a lot of time single-handedly holding the line before we were recruited into the team. So I'd really like to acknowledge some of her contributions. And then we have Rosie, who joined the team in February and has been managing the team and leading. And Rosie's our clinical psychologist. Thank you. So how has this telephone line evolved over time? Because in March 2020, we haven't even thought about it. No, absolutely. So it has been a really evolution. Um, so 
in April 2020, uh, I think I first met you, Andrew, and we had a had a conversation through the Somerset Pastoral Cell, which was the Somerset system, uh, a group of us who were all very concerned about the same thing. How can we support our colleagues during the pandemic? And um, we shared the strategy and that's where the telephone line ideas were, were first shared. Somerset Foundation Trust at the beginning um, between April 2020 and June 2020 um, uh, set up the line. So Dawn and I set up the line with other colleagues involved too in that initial setup and over 50 volunteer psychologists across our uh, Somerset Foundation Trust staffed the line in their own time in, a, in that initial period in order to get us up and running and again you know very very grateful for their their all everybody's contributions at that beginning stage in june 2020 as we realized how we could all um work remotely and uh, uh return back to our sort of business as usual roles um, it was it was clear that we needed to keep the line going and it was at that point that some funding became available and um, we were beginning to be able to recruit to the team and uh, for a very long period whilst we were doing that process of obtaining some funding and uh, recruiting to the team the Dawn Coleman as I mentioned before held the line so she she held it from July 2020 to January 2021 uh, single-handedly making sure that any colleague called in had the support um, and the attention that they needed. And then in February 2021, uh, we recruited into the colleague support service team. And uh, then the biggest development that has happened most recently is in May 2021, the colleague support line was extended to all health and care workers and volunteers across Somerset Health and Care System. And what sort of difficulties do people call the line with? So people call the line with all sorts of things and it's absolutely fine for people to call the line with anything. We are very happy to listen and there is no, because it's completely non-judgmental, um, people can call the line with whatever they like, um, any sort of difficulties that they're facing. The ones that are most common that we hear about um, are anxiety, mental health concerns, workplace stress and mental health at work and depression and a mixture of de depression and anxiety. Those are our real top hitters. Those are the things that people call the line with the most. There are lots of other things such as um, other worries that people have, which can be very general. They can be about their family, their friends, their home circumstances, a real mixture of, of life um, and some of the difficulties that we all face in life. We have people calling with bereavement, um, lifestyle management difficulties, how to return to work after a period of long-term sick, um, people with post-traumatic stress disorder, and women calling in with difficulties associated with the menopause, which I know has been a previous topic, a very successful one of your podcasts previously, and that there was a talk earlier in the week too here on this conference around that. We're seeing a proportion of people calling with long COVID related difficulties, um, some people with some domestic abuse difficulties, some historical trauma and accommodation issues. Those are the, the main things that people are calling us with. 
And we've got some numbers here. We're going to um, have to move on quickly, if we may, to the next slide. But the great thing about the numbers is that it is being used and it is used more and more. And we're up to 70 a month in, in June uh, this year from a baseline of around 20 to 30 over a long period of time. So thinking about the benefits, what are the key benefits to people calling the line in terms of their mental health, Lorna? So for me... There's been an, a, a really key benefit in terms of reductions um, in people's experience distress. So there are two key measures that, that we use with people if they want are happy to agree to use them. Um, and they're um, something called the GAD7 and the PHQ9. And those are very standard, uh, uh, industry standard use um, of uh, measures of anxiety and depression. And what we've seen um, is that um, when people call the line, their average score is um, 12 for anxiety and 9 for depression. And both of those scores reduced down from being in the um, moderately severe range or the moderate range down to our mild range. So um, uh, reducing from 12 to 6 and from 13 to 7 depression which I think is is really good testament to the work that's happening on the line and although that's far and away the most important thing presumably there have been wider benefits in terms of uh, cost savings and so on to the system have there there have yes so so I have a slide here which is quite a, a wordy slide really um, but the the long and short of it really is that between April 2020 and March 2021 um, based on some financial assumptions about average costings for salaries and average numbers of days that people take off um, poorly, I'm making the assumption that if everybody who had called the line was at risk of going off sick, then we've we've actually, um, during that period, supported 368 colleagues to stay in work, which um, for Somerset Foundation Trust during that period, before we extended it out into the Somerset system, gave us a cost avoidance of um, just over half a million pounds, and that's without any additional agency costs. So I think that's that's really helpful. That's really good. That's absolutely fantastic. And um, what about the personal feedback that people give us? Yes, yes, we get quite a bit of personal feedback. So um, I've just picked a selection here, and these are people who are happy for their comments to be shared. So um, somebody who called the line said they were worried about falling back into previous mental ill health and that calling the line helped them to avoid feeling that way again. Um, somebody else said that they felt heard and listened to. And another person said that um, they spoke to somebody who was kind and supportive and they were able to think through their problems and make sense of them. All, all of this sounds fantastic. What does the future look like? So, I, again, I really like this uh, visual, which came from the King's Fund. Um, it's not something I have dreamt up, but it, it takes us through a timeline of what it's like to, to experience um, being in a pandemic. And, and you can see that, that it's a real up and down. Um, and what we know is that there's likely to be, now we've gone through the first anniversary, there's likely to be a period where we're working through some grief, we're coming to terms with the situation that we've had and adjusting to change and we're trying to reconstruct a, a new future whatever that looks like 
That's, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful because we all respond to reactions and uh, trigger events and anniversaries and we've all got to be supported through this. And so the number is 0300 124 and that's seven days a week, Lorna? It is, yes, seven days a week, 9am to 5pm. That's fantastic. And there are additional resources on the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing website. And this recording will be available, is available soon as a podcast from the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast site, number 50, 49 others to listen to as well, please. And they, they all count as CPD if you're a professional. So please, please do uh, listen to that. And Sue, is this, are, are the recordings from the conference also available somewhere to participants? Yes, again, they'll be up on the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing website as soon as we can get them up there sometime next week. So thank you. That's just fantastic. I'd just like to thank um, Lorna Stewart, Dr. Lorna Stewart, consultant clinical psychologist from SFT for, for firstly coming along and sharing with us today at our anniversary 50th podcast, but also for the hard work that you and your team and, and the vision that the pastoral care cell and everyone else have, have done in helping to, to work together right across the Somerset ICS to, to design and to deliver and support in supportive interventions. And particularly to my colleague, Peter Bagshaw uh, and co-host uh, of these podcasts and to our producer, uh, David Seeley, who has a day job at the CCG as well as happening to be rather a good producer. And Sue, uh, Sue Chant, a very big thank you to you for organising this conference, this whole week of conference. So thank you very much indeed, everyone. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.